This week on VMworld 2021, the Virtually Speaking podcast has grabbed several industry experts to discuss their respective products, VMware announcements, and some sessions to look out for. We're calling them VChats, and we'll be releasing them all week. Let's do this. You're going to learn today. Oh, yeah. On this episode, we speak to our good friend Frank Deneman, who shares his take on NUMA, Project Monterey, and other key sessions that you might want to keep your eye out for. Enjoy. Frank Deneman, my friend. How you doing, man? Good, good, good. VMworld time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, usually when I'm talking to you at VMworld, of course, it's in the Solutions Exchange or, or sitting down at your NUMA session and, and asking you 30 questions. But uh, hey, we're doing it virtual, and that's okay. Uh, yeah, no jet lag this time, so uh, it's uh, quite easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I had tweeted a picture of us from, someone had said they missed Barcelona, and I had tweeted a picture saying, oh yeah, good times, and it was a picture of all of us sitting on the hotel, uh, what is it, 1898 or whatever. Oh the, yeah. And uh, and someone responded and said, uh, those guys all look very unhappy. <laughs> they look really mean. <laughs> I was, like, I was like, no, that's their smiling face. <laughs> yeah, that's after a 20-hour workday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, speaking of NUMA, I did see that you actually have that session again this year, which is fantastic. It's always one of the better sessions. That is the uh, MCL 1853, 60 Minutes of Non-Uniform Memory Access. You're doing that one again. This Is is this your third time doing it? Correct, yeah, and thank you for the, uh, the compliment. It's the third edition. And so uh, we're diving into uh, the same uh, topic, of course, NUMA, but one of the new things is I'm looking at heterogeneous cluster. So NUMA in heterogeneous cluster, what we see is that customers are scaling out their clusters, which is normal, but they're not scaling out in the traditional way of big chunks, like uh, eight hosts per cluster uh, yeah. or, or, or 12, but now smaller additions. And that means that the, the, the clusters are now growing with different types of hardware. And so what type of effect does it have on, on particular sizing of your virtual machines, distributing of, of workload, and, and what can you expect uh, from DRS and all that stuff? So I'm helping to see or to show some of the pitfalls. And it, it's not perfect, but... Yeah. I also show that it's not the end of the world, but I just want to highlight some of the things that what you can look for if you have a customer that that shows, hey, I'm seeing some weird behavior, we need to troubleshoot this. Okay. So Frank, can yeah. you can you explain why people might have gone and said, okay, I'm going to grow this cluster, I'm going to add eight hosts. Why are they only adding, say, two now? What's, what, what's causing that, that purchasing decision in that direction? Uh, the obvious reason, of course, is the added or the increase of power per host. So more CPU capacity, more memory capacity per host. So you don't have to add more host. And typically oh, okay. there's a license issue and there's no need for growing that amount every time. So oh, they would like sense. to, yeah. Nice. Oh, yeah, well, I'll be watching that one again. It seems like it, it was different every time I've seen it, but it's really good good content. And yeah, it, that, that makes perfect sense that as technology gets better and stuff gets denser and faster, you don't need to have as many uh, as many hosts in each cluster. So that makes perfect sense. So, so what's top of mind for you this uh, VMworld? I know you've been working on some different things these days. Yeah, the majority of time that I'm spending on is machine learning. And the thing that is so popular this VMworld or the, the, the main areas of focus is Monterey. Project Monterey is one of the, the, the key elements uh, of VMworld for us this year. And that's the thing that I'm mo most interested in to see how people react to it and, and how people respond to it. I think it's a very interesting technology and uh, I, I'm more interested to see how people uh, would like to integrate it into their data center. There are m multiple angles uh, to use it. You can use this 
SmartNIC or this data processing unit to provide more performance for storage, network, and other types of infrastructure capability to your host. Or you can use it to isolate your resources for your workload and use your SmartNIC uh, for your management uh, control plane. So more or less like what the hyperscalers such as Amazon and, and Azure and Google are doing. Mm. So there you have this device that allows you to interact with the host from the management perspective and then use your full host to run your workload on. Now, what I am more interested in is the added infrastructure capabilities. And that means that if you look at what a smart NIC is doing, it provides you with like a sort of computer, an added amount of, of resources to, to deal with the amount of incoming and outgoing IO. And if you couple that with machine learning, that's a welcome addition to the host resources. If you look at like we just discussed with NUMA, with the, the, the added host in a cluster, Yes, there are, the hosts are bigger nowadays, mm -hmm. but the workloads are also more demanding. Now, with machine learning, typically when we talk about machine learning, people tend to focus on what's what I like to call the vertical stack, meaning that you have a workload unit, a virtual machine or a container, and you use a accelerator like a GPU or maybe a CPU yeah. to uh, train your model on. Now, the thing what you use for um, uh, model training is data. Now, wh where does that, that data come from? Now, that data comes from somewhere. Mm -hmm. And that is typically from a device like a camera or a, a sensor like a, 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 a car or a train or a plane or maybe data uh, uh, somewhere stored in a database in your enterprise. And that's something where we as VMware or our customers using vSphere, that's where we shine, um, data adjacency. On, on vSphere, there's a ton of Oracle databases and SQL databases and, and everything what you can, can mention that holds data. And so there are a lot of business units nowadays that are interested in looking at that data to use it to solve their business problems. And so they, are, they want to extract that data and see how can we solve today's business problem? And so you need to grab that data, but you need to transform the data because you cannot use the data in that form to train your model. And so what you need to do is you need to extract that data. You need to do something with the quality of data. Typically, it's not good enough. You need to transform it. So you have to move it from that system to another system. You need to transform it. So that takes a lot of processing power. And during that, that transformation step, typically it flows through different platforms. And with each different platform, that typically means you flow through different infrastructures, meaning that typically a data set is 100 gigabytes large. Now, if you compare that to an average Oracle database or SQL database, which is terabyte in size, doesn't really sound that impressive. But that's just for a single model. And you use multiple versions of that data set. So you're talking about an explosive number of, of data sets flowing through a pipeline through multiple platforms running on multiple systems, running on multiple Kubernetes systems, running on multiple virtual machines that it runs on top of your vSphere infrastructure. So what happens with, with that data that, that flows 
through your network. Well, networking, virtual networking are CPU cycles. Mm -hmm. And so now you're spending a lot of CPU cycles transporting that data. And that's where your DPU comes into play. If you have that DPU, you're offloading that transportation onto that device so you can use your normal CPU cycles for your normal virtual machines, for your normal Kubernetes system with your containers that run your machine learning infrastructure. Ah. And that's where I think is a very uh, logical step for, for modern infrastructures to look at those, those DPU uh, infrastructures. Ah, I, I like this well idea said, of the, yeah. I like the idea of the DPU sounds almost like an, in some ways revolutionary, but in other ways just evolutionary on the other offloads we've done for data transport over the years, be that TCP offload or LR, we're getting farther and farther closer and closer to the workload in terms of the offloads of the the packets, I guess, getting shoved yeah. around. One thing you you did mention was using it as is basically for the management plane of the host. Is that yeah. something to where that acts as a sidecar on the traditional out of band um, IPMI? I, you know, is that for is that for delivering a boot device or is that for like where is this going to coexist or is this going to become the endpoint from what I traditionally would have used for say IDRAC or ILO or CIMC or, or so forth? Yeah, I think it's a layer above that. So you have got, you've got your iDRAC out of band, but you, I think it's just a, a full control plane that is some sort of out of band for your workload. For your workload, so you have your you have your data center control plane for your for your whole. Uh, so like, uh, if it was used for boot, it would be hypervisor and above, still hardware yeah. below. I, I'm still gonna go yeah. yell at the use the API calls at the or Redfish, I guess, if I'm being fancy, to talk to them mm. out of band below. So you've got a, I think a control a, plane a, for the hardware and a control plane for everything above. I think it's a full ESXi layer on, uh, running on that uh, on the device itself. So you can have your full control plane uh, with your uh, with your uh, full virtualization of your hardware. And now oh, you can so it's your... its own enclave in a way. So it's mm -hmm. it has to have its own isolation. So yeah. this is you know that's fun. So in that way, I've got a, an entire I guess immutable enclave within the the larger hardware itself. That's yeah. That'll that'll at least help uh, for security if nothing else. Exactly. So you control your that layer, and then that entire host is now completely available for the actual workload for on that host. And so that's that's a hard definition of workload resources and control plane resources for the operational team. Something similar to what hypervisors are doing. So if you compare it, if if you want to look at how it is doing right now, think, look at AWS Nitro. That's something they are doing uh, for a couple of years now. If you buy an AWS Nitro host, you're buying in, or buying, <laughs> renting, you're renting that entire host and they have a smart NIC installed so they can still access that host. They can still control that host. They can still do the, the, the lifecycle management without interfering and, and, and taking away resources of that host. So you have still access to your that entire host system. You know, I was just thinking, John, you remember when we had uh, Pat on several years ago and we were talking about ARM, uh, ESXi and ARM? It just seems like, uh, you know, I know these smart NICs are using ARM processors, right, Frank? Mm -hmm. It's just funny, yeah. like, that was years ago that we talked to him about that. And it's really cool to actually see stuff to start to come to fruition. You know, decisions made years ago is now starting to see, like, really specifically how it's going to be used. That's pretty exciting. Well, and, yeah. and also it was interesting back then is that all the discussions on ARM were IoT way far from the data center and 
now it seems we've kind of come full circle to where most of the ARM considerations I'm seeing are either imb embedded in devices like that that are within the data center or potential use cases directly directly in the cloud or in or in data centers. So, yeah. and on your Tesla as well, right, John? Good luck finding a car right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very cool, man. All right, so yeah, I will be. There's plenty of sessions out there on on Project Monterey, uh, also also ML, ML for that matter. So um, I will leave some links on the show notes of this podcast to Frank sessions as well as other sessions on Project Monterey. Uh, Frank, just curious, VMworld 2021. Is there anything you're looking to see this year? Anything you're interested in uh, that you you want to learn more about, or or any sessions that you think are definitely worth uh, putting into my uh, my calendar? Outside of Monterey. Um, I would look for Project Radium if we're going to uh, talk about it. It's a big if. So either I'm going to get fired <laughs> or it's going to be an interesting one. I'm not going to talk about it because it might not drop, but if it's going to be uh, dropped, look for Project Radium. It's going to be very interesting. I like it. I like it. Well said. Yeah. So uh, stay tuned to see if Frank still has a job by the end of the week. <laughs> I like that. Enjoy the rest of your week, Frank.